when I go back to, to, to Germany, the first question is immediately, do we have to fear China? Do we have to fear for our jobs? I think that is a rather interesting development. I was quite surprised that there are so many people officially and unofficially crossing the border from Tibet to, to India to see the Dalai Lama. The reform-mindedness of China, he hopes, can help Tibet one day because he thinks that the reform in China will not stop at the economic this is ChinaCast, a production of ChinaDigitalTimes.net. Today we will be talking to Andreas Lawrence of German magazine The Spiegel. Andreas covered the June 4th in Beijing and soon after that moved to Eastern Europe and Southeast Asia. In 1999 he came back to Beijing and will soon cover a lot of sports with 2008 Olympics. So what made you come back again? Being the first time here, 1988 to 91, I did not experience the reform and opening up policy. So I wanted to see how the reforms uh, were working. Well, economic, of course, everybody knows and we also describe it. Political-wise, I don't see much progress at this time. If, if I compare to the time the first time I, I was here between 88 and 91, in this first period, it was quite easy for, for us journalists to find people to talk to us among scholars, even among politicians. Now the people uh, among scholars were very much hesitating to speak to, to Western journalists, I think, because they fear that might have negative consequences for them. Uh, they might have to answer difficult questions by the authorities and so on. Your first time here from 1988 to 1991 was a very special time in recent China history. Talk about your experience covering China at that special time of history. I was sent uh, to Beijing and my bosses in Hamburg said, well, um, don't write anymore about the reform. Uh, we know that already. We know now they are private cars uh, in, in Beijing. So uh, I concentrated in the, in the beginning on the social situation of China. And then, of course, in 89, shortly after I arrived, the student movement began. I was quite engaged in that and reporting that. That was a very, very exciting uh, moment um, at this time. And this went through the 4th of June, of course. I was there at the, at the Tiananmen Square. After the 4th of June, uh, well, every, everything seemed to go back. At the same time, the, the Soviet Union or, and the former East Bloc states, they were de developing forward. They had these big reforms. So nobody at, at this time was not interested in China anymore. And I remember my editor and she said, well, well, I don't like, I don't want China reports anymore because China is not moving forward. So I decided to, uh, to switch my job and I decided after that to go to, to Poland to see how this socialist communist country um, develops itself into a capitalist democratic country. 
You seem to be paying a lot of attention to the environmental problems, not only in China, but also related to Russia and Southeast Asia. For example, I wrote your story about the uh, Amur River bordering Russia and also Mekong River near Cambodia and other countries. What's the reaction in other parts of the world about China's problem getting exported? They are not very happy, as you can imagine. They feel, at least in Russia, that there is nobody whom they can talk to about their problems. For instance, in Russia, the Amur River is quite polluted. First, they didn't know. They thought they, they, their own factories would, would pollute uh, the Amur River. Now they found out, no, it's, it's definitely China. And they had a lot of difficulties to find someone who, could, who they could talk to, and nobody would take care very much about their problems. And um, the same feeling I had uh, in Thailand, where the fishermen and the people living at the Mekong River uh, having all these uh, difficulties with, with, with the tide, uh, which is regulated now by this uh, two, one dam in, in China. They were angry about China, but they couldn't do anything about it. Of course, China has a right to develop. That having said, SEPA, the, the Environmental Protection Agency, is quite um, helpless. The economic development is much more important. And if you go uh, further on, of course, it's a, I think it's a political uh, problem. If China had a free press discussing it, if they would have people who were able to bring up these problems freely, if the whole country would discuss where it is going, environmental protection or economic progress, and how to find the balance, if that would be possible, then the problem would, could be solved a little bit more easily and more quickly. In terms of the NGO's development in recent years, what do you see their role and what do you see their future in China? I, I must say it's, it's quite encouraging. I mean, if you see how many people are now active and engaged in these work, from, from students to, to even party functionaries, trying to take care of the environment, trying to take care of the sick people, or if you want to say, of the, of the losers of the reform, I think it's, it's a very encouraging uh, thing. I am not quite sure if the Communist Party will tolerate civil society or an NGO scenery which we are used to in, in Europe or in America because they certainly don't want um, them to influence the people too much and by themselves in this process lose, lose the influence. You also went to both Tibet and India where Dalai Lama is living. What's the difference in terms of your thoughts when you were at both places? My editor-in-chief, Stefan Aust, was here, and he had a dinner with the Kung, the then speaker of the foreign ministry. He said, well, you, you should not go only to these very developed places. You should go to Tibet. You don't let us go as journalists. Just an officially organized trip a year, uh, it's not enough. We cannot do that. They agreed to let us go, and they even agreed to have an interview with the party chief of Tibet. He was quite aggressively attacking the Dalai Lama. 
and we were a little bit surprised about this aggressive, harsh tone of the party. At the same time, we promised to give the Dalai Lama the opportunity to answer that. He feels that uh, the more Chinese come to Tibet, the less Tibetan culture can be preserved. That is what he always talked about, and obviously that is, is a major concern. Praising them is what he was saying, that they are reform-minded. I had the impression that he was quite optimistic about that. The reform-mindedness of China, he hopes, can help Tibet one day, because he thinks that the reform in China will not stop at the economic reform. He is convinced, obviously, that uh, the economic reform has to be followed by political reform. And when China experiences political reform, then there will be advantages uh, for Tibet, because he says there are a lot of people who are so-called in the intellectual sphere, among the artists, among the writers, among even politicians. They like Tibet, and they even have a tendency towards Buddhism. So that is what I was saying about criticizing China and at the same time praising it. Praising it means the, the, the optimism uh, for political change in China. I was quite surprised that there are so many people officially and unofficially crossing the border from Tibet to, to India to see the Dalai Lama. We met even some Chinese students who just came over to India to, to see the Dalai Lama. What I was surprised about is that the Dalai Lama urges the Tibetan people to mingle with the Chinese. He said to them, go to China, go to Shanghai, go to Beijing, have business there, learn Chinese, and then come back and then invest uh, your money in Tibet so the other people can become uh, more wealthy. I found that quite remarkable. For a Tibet trip, you talked to the party secretary there. What are some of the other senior officials you have interviewed in China and who do you like and who don't? Uh, it, it, it is not a question uh, for journalists whom they like or not. I, I must say interviews in China with politicians, party secretary or with the foreign minister are quite difficult because it's a rather bureaucratic thing. It is not very lively. One highlight, however, was um, the interview with Panier. He is a completely different type of politician. He is very lively. He was, in his answers, extremely open about the environmental situation in China and what has to be done. What I don't like very much are these press conferences. We have, as you know, only one press conference by the Prime Minister every year after the end of the National People's Congress. And this press conference is, in my view, not really a press conference. And it becomes more and more organized to the extent that uh, the foreign ministry even beforehand asks uh, correspondents and journalists what kind of question that they want to put forward. And I think uh, that is a frustrating matter and we have to think about to, to, to tell the Chinese authorities that this is not the way uh, to handle the foreign press. The other story you wrote about related to migrant workers is the story where you mentioned 
the producers of the world unite in places like Dongguan and other manufacturing zones in Guangdong province. A lot of German companies have been outsourcing to China and other developing countries. What do you see down the road in terms of the challenges and maybe also opportunities to your country and other developed countries? The impression about China and Germany in general seems to have changed in the last couple of months. There was this euphoria about China. Everybody was astonished about the development in China, be it businessmen, be it politicians. They came over and said, look how quick they decide, how quick things are getting developed. Take, for instance, a Magla train in Shanghai. They needed only a couple of months, and suddenly the Maglev train is running from Pudong Airport to the city. We cannot do that. We are discussing it. We don't even have this Maglev train in Germany. Look at these wonderful, reform-minded Chinese who can decide such kind of questions so quickly. This mood seems to have changed, as I said, in the last couple of months. Now, a lot of people see how badly workers are treated, how badly they are paid, and now the mood changed from enthusiasm to fear, at least in some people. When I go back to, to, to Germany, the first question is immediately, do we have to fear China? Do we have to fear for our jobs? I think that is a rather interesting development. Thank you, Andreas, for talking to us, and thanks for listening to CDT ChinaCast.